Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Peter Weil. Peter's the chairman and senior research scientist at MIT Sloan's Center for Information Systems Research, or CISR. In his position, Peter's focused on the role, value, and governance of digitization in enterprises and their ecosystems. He's also the author of numerous award-winning books and articles. In this interview, we discuss the two roles of a technology leader, to manage technology and to help differentiate their enterprises. We also discuss some of the education programs CISR has for management teams to increase digital savviness and some of the long-term implications the pandemic will have on the world. We also cover the results and implications from several of the machine learning-based studies done by CISR that show that less than half of CIOs or CTOs and less than a quarter of boards are digitally savvy. Lastly, we discuss Peter's view on boards, including the importance of having at least three digitally savvy directors on a board to be truly successful, the three major aspects of a board, and a value of having CIOs on boards, among a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Peter, you keep calling us an unusual enterprise software company. I think we should talk about that a bit. Yes, we have not borrowed a single dollar from a VC or a bank and ended up bootstrapping our way to multi-billion dollar SaaS business with over 60 million enterprise users. That itself is unusual for a tech company. But the principles that have kept us from accepting VC term sheets are simple. We believe all our employees should have good night's sleep each night, be it month-end, quarter-end, or year-end. To enable this principle, we have stayed private and have not dipped into public money. We don't believe in debt and discourage anyone from getting in one. A good night's sleep has its premium. Yes, we believe in good night's sleep and eating healthy foods. That's why we leave money on the table. It comes from our principle of eating healthy food. Just because there is food on the table, we don't believe it's healthy to eat it all. Therefore, any product we market, be it CRM, Sign, Helpdesk, and 100 others, these will be many multiples cheaper than our nearest competitor. And it comes from the principle of leaving money on the table. Find out more about our unusual enterprise company at Zoho.com. Thanks, Timothy. I also wanted to share a quick message from our sponsor, Sykes. Sykes is a leading provider of multi-channel demand generation and customer engagement services, helping Global 2000 companies enhance touchpoints at every stage of the customer journey. To share some perspectives, I'll briefly turn it over to Ian Barkin, the company's chief strategy and marketing officer. Customers don't want and don't deserve a new normal. They deserve and want a better normal. At Sykes, we know this because we spend over 3 billion minutes a year listening to and serving customers of the world's leading brands. And with that much listening, you can't help but know what delights, what infuriates, and what drives customer behaviors and decisions. So what is a better normal? We believe it's the delivery of a truly intelligent customer experience. The call to action has never been clearer for CIOs, 
CTOs, and the broader C-suite. New is not enough, and the time for tinkering has passed. The winning combination of technology, talent, and customer insight is how to create intelligent customer experiences and a truly better normal. To read more about intelligent customer experiences, check out sykes.com forward slash ICX. Thanks, Ian. And now on to our interview. Peter Weil, welcome to Technovation. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Lovely to see you again. Likewise. Well, so uh, Peter, you lead and have for some time the uh, MIT Center for Information Systems Research, uh, commonly known as CISR. And I wonder for those uh, probably few people who would be listening to this that may not be familiar with it, maybe you could take a moment to talk about CISR's purview in the organization's mission, please. Sure. Uh, I've just celebrated my 20th anniversary at MIT CISR. And um, how do I say this? I think I've died and gone to heaven. Um, CISR <laughs> and MIT in general is really the kind of institute of technology or university I've always dreamed of being at. And, and the reason is our motto, which is mens manas, which means mind and hand. And the idea is to bring those two capabilities together, both in an individual and in a community to create value for the world. And so CISR was started um, by my predecessor and colleagues, Jack Rockhart in 1974, has one mission, which has uh, evolved a little over time, which is to help large companies thrive in the next era of te technological change. And uh, we have about uh, nearly 100 members, which are companies around the world. Uh, and uh, historically, those members um, and the folks who engage with us have been the technology leaders, the CIOs and CTOs. But more recent times, the last seven, eight, ten years, uh, through mostly those CIOs, we have been introduced and engaged with boards, uh, executive teams, uh, marketing teams, all people interested in digital across the organization. Uh, and uh, I think I've lost count, but I think we've now done 50 board sessions um, uh, across the globe on topics of things like what's your digital business model? Uh, how do you do digital by design? Um, how much does it cost in terms of technology? Um, how do you digitally partner? So we do about eight or 10 research projects a year. Uh, and we have about uh, 10 researchers who work uh, full-time in the center. And we engage with our members through research papers, a lot of online events lately, um, and also uh, historically physical events. Uh, and workshops that are customized for the for the individual uh, member. It's interesting um, as I think about think back twenty years in this community that you and I know very well. The chief information officers, digital leaders, they wouldn't have been called that twenty years ago. Uh, but but the, those who who own the technology landscape within large organizations, uh, you know, the average CIO twenty years ago was I, I say the average at least was was leading somewhat of a support organization likely, um, often considered different from the rest of the chiefs, reporting through a chief financial officer in many cases, at least that was the primary of the, of the uh, reporting structures. Uh, and one can you know, hypothesize uh, and, and offer a lot of feedback as to why the CFO, a, a cost to be controlled, a, uh, you know, the, the roots of the, uh, of the IT function and MIS functions as being uh, subordinate to accounting and uh, um, so, you know, the, the automation of the GL and all these sorts of things. But, but uh, 
it's been quite a dramatic change across two decades that, that you've been, been leading this organization. And no doubt, no doubt, actually, you are you and your team are among the leading lights who have driven some of that change by shining a light on the great practices of the not average, but above average, well above average in many cases. And so I wonder, actually, the focus on you know, IT organizations, on chief information officers and other chiefs who've taken on responsibilities as the kind of next, uh, the next stage of the CIO, let's say. I'm curious, you know, what were some of those sparks in the early days as to the possibilities of this role? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you got a couple of hours. <laughs> got 20 years. So my, uh, my colleague and friend, Jeannie Ross, uh, coined a term called smack it, social, mobile, uh, internet, cloud, you know, cloud, internet of things. And it's such a lovely term because it's very onomatopoeic. You know, it's, it's about organizations getting walloped with um, a whole lot of new technology. And you could list a whole bunch of others. And so these new technologies not only just kept coming, they came together. Uh, and they enabled not only to inc- improve supply of capability, but also demand. Uh, and more importantly, from my point of view, created a whole new set of business model ideas like ecosystems and digital partnering. We've just finished a great study that was published in Management Review this week on digital partnering uh, with Ina Sebastian and, and uh, my colleagues, uh, Stephanie Warner as well, both members of MIT Scissor. And we showed that companies who are good at digital partnering grow faster. Uh, and so uh, this is an enterprise-wide issue. It's no longer a technology issue. Uh, but that said, uh, where things go wrong, it's often a technology problem, uh, certainly in the media. You know, we have um, you know, systems that go down. We have uh, all kinds of cyber issues. We have privacy issues. So now the technology leader has two very important roles. One is to manage the technology and the other is to help the organization be different. And to and in post-coronavirus, it's going to be even more so. Uh, we've learned a lot about how to do everything digitally and so it's just going to continue on this exponential curve. So if you go back to your question over the 20 years, uh, what we saw were leading lights of uh, CIOs who felt they could do more. Uh, they could do more. And we saw them in companies like, you know, FedEx, American Airlines, um, you know, uh, Monsanto, many companies who did um, early work with customers to provide more value. And then we had the, the, the dot-coms and the Amazons and the WeChats. I've just been studying Ping An in China, an incredible, very successful digital company, uh, but a very old company too. And so uh, that combination uh, led to uh, some companies really being able to rethink the role of technology and how to ponder it. That said, uh, we have just finished the study uh, that we've measured the digital savviness of the top management teams by function uh, using a, um, uh, a machine learning approach. And you're familiar with our work on board, so we used a similar approach. And uh, I'm sad to report to you, Peter, that only 48% of CIOs or CTOs were digitally savvy, um, as assessed by this um, 
machine learning approach which looks at the bios of these people and looks for keywords that we know predict uh, successful digital savviness or impact. Peter, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can you, can you have, list out some, what some of those words are? Yeah, I can show you a picture of it too. Wonder, uh, excuse me. But there are things like fast clock speed industries, you know, data monetization, new business models, cybersecurity, things that would predict someone who has had actual hands-on experience in uh, creating value from technology. So one piece of advice for your listeners is update your bio because more and more research, search and other things are going to be uh, very uh, impacted by what we say about ourselves and what other people say about ourselves in the public domain, including the work you do. Uh, you know, your blogs are going to be analysed with machine learning to understand, you know, the uses of phrases and all kinds of things. So it's an interesting world. Uh, but back to the, to, the, to the result. So if only half of CTOs and CIOs are digitally savvy, and by the way, 24% of CEOs, 12% of CFOs are digitally savvy. Um, there's a lot of work to do. And it turns out that the companies that have higher percent of digital savvy top management teams perform much better financially. Uh, so only 7% of large companies have more than 50% of their top management teams that are digitally savvy. And they do more than 30% better on just about every metric you care about, like market cap growth, revenue growth, profit, and so on. So they're the stakes, Peter, and they're only just going to get higher. Um, but in our world, if only 50% of our colleagues are uh, digitally savvy, the other half are still working in the way in which you describe. Uh, whether that, whether it's because they choose to, whether it's because it's their skill set, or whether it's because that's how they're treated or, or enabled in the organization, it could be all of those. But that's the situation. And so, but as you know very well, every job you description you read for a CIO or a board member with a technical background says we want someone who is strategic, who will do organizational change at scale, who will help us rethink the organization. So that's the situation I see us in today. And it's an interesting conundrum, isn't it, Peter? Because if you're, if you're measuring the entire C-suite, as you talked about, you have the percentages of CEOs, CFOs, of course, the CIOs and, and others. The pathway to correct that, um, you know, once you get to the C-suite, training and education, a lot, it's very different than somebody who's at the beginning of their career, where they can have a variety of different, you know, experiences. They may go back to graduate school. They may, you know, take courses at night and so on. The C-suite tends to operate in a very different way. Uh, they're, they're not going back for executive education. They're, they're, if you're a CFO in one company, then you're likely either to be a CFO somewhere else or perhaps to get a CEO role at a different organization. So to what extent is the remedy to this replacement as opposed to uh, education or training? This is how we define digitally savvy. Uh, it's got four elements. I won't go through this in detail because uh, I think this is something you and your listeners will be very familiar with. How digital has an impact? What are the different digital technologies and risks? Uh, how do you make change at enterprise scale? And when do you commit? And when do you experiment? And when do you partner? 
And then how do you think about technology, not as an afterthought, you know, the way we were taught, strategy first, then technology, but now uh, technology enables strategy. And so thinking about that rather than uh, the individual project risk that many uh, senior executives look at. And then this is uh, the board research, and we'll come back to that if you'd like. Um, but this is the, oops, uh, and this is the data that I wanted to share with you. So this is just big companies, uh, 3 billion in revenues and more, but it's a huge sample. It reflects 86% of US publicly traded companies and 55% of global. Uh, and you can see those numbers I referred to on the chief technology officer uh, versus the other folks. So a couple of things to note, and then I'll get to your question. Um, the chief technology officer and the chief information officer, as a percentage of roles across these companies, are the most savvy. <laughs> so they're the best we've got, right? You know, so actually that's a good thing. Um, and so there's really multiple ways you can uh, improve this, but I think the two you mentioned are the most common and you have to do both, right? So you have to, um, and we do a lot of this at CISA, we do uh, education programs for executive teams designed specifically for uh, the top management team. And it might be half a day, it might be three half days. When we look at the big issues around digital uh, and for, for us, those issues are things like business models, transformation, designing the organization in a new way, working in new ways, uh, data monetization, they're the kinds of issues. Uh, and so uh, this approach is designed to increase the digital savvy of the entire team, but more importantly, make it a team-wide capability and responsibility. The, the best top management teams have 50, 60% of their uh, members being digitally savvy. So yes, strategic appointments, but also nothing helps better in my opinion than uh, hands-on work uh, and education in small chunks that's designed. So uh, just to finish with a, a more concrete example, um, we've been working with a bank um, in Europe and we've done a series of programs for their uh, top management team uh, in sort of one and two day chunks over the last two years. And it incorporates projects where they work with a digitally savvy young person in the organization to do something about how they'd envisage the company could operate in a two or three years time and then present it back to their uh, colleagues. Uh, so that's the approach, and, and we do the same kind of uh, in, uh, education for boards as well. That's great, and I'd love to, I do indeed want to cover that also. Uh, before we do, and perhaps as a bridge to the topic about boards and some of your really groundbreaking research relative to digitally savvy boards, um, I want to talk about the 53 and 55% uh, of chief, chief technology officers and chief information officers, uh, respectively, the other side of this data. Uh, forgive me, the, 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 I'm, I'm, I, these, are the, these are the ones who are savvy. Forgive me, the 47 and 45% of chief technology officers and chief information officers, those that actually are already digitally savvy, as you, you note, those are executives now, especially in light of the, the pandemic and the 
the, the, the fact that the source of resilience for so many companies is the sophistication of their digital operations, the extent to which they have digital um, revenue streams that they can lean on, um, the extent to which they've put the relevant tools, the smack of tools uh, in place in order to ensure that they can scale up or back as the case may be more, more um, in, in a better fashion, depending upon the situation with the business and so on. Those leaders now, it seems, are going to have ever greater opportunities for what they have done uh, that, that prepared. They weren't doing it knowing that this would be what they'd be preparing for, of course, the pandemic, the quarantine, the, the major economic downturn, et cetera. But um, by virtue of the fact that the, the sanctity of and the source, again, of resilience of the work that, that has been their work seems to suggest that they're going to have outsized opportunities for advancement within their corporations, but also for board opportunities as well. Is that how you see it also, Peter? Yes. And one of the curious things about CIOs in general as a species is they tend to be quite altruistic um, in, in the sense that they want to improve their company. They want to improve their world. Sure, they want to be successful as individuals, but it's rare in my experience, Peter, and you may have different experience, to see the individual CIO being driven by self-aggrandizement. And I'm not sure why that is, uh, but it is my observation. It's one of the reasons I love working with CIOs and CTOs. Um, and so the result of this is um, most CIOs want more opportunity to do that, to, to help. Uh, so... And they get frustrated if they can't um, get a seat at the table or help the top management team um, change the way they operate and be more digitally savvy. But they have a natural in. And that is, you know, the old uh, saying, you can sell either fear or greed. And so uh, they sell fear. Uh, you know, the and quite rightly, the, the, the cyber issues, the... They don't even have to sell it. The, 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 the management team and the board are ready because it's a, a tough place. And we've seen cybercrime go up in, uh, in this period. And you, you, you asked me in, uh, uh, earlier about, you know, what's going to happen with the pandemic. But that's one thing, <laughs> more bad stuff. Um, and so uh, the, the CIOs that are effective and digitally savvy use that as a natural entree if they don't have the invitation to do the strategic things and then broaden it. And that's actually how we at Scissor have often been brought into boards and management teams uh, where the CIO will do a weekly or monthly report or whatever it is on cyber and then the issue of, well, how do we generate new revenue comes up and they say, oh, well, we've been working with Scissor and they have a framework that you should see on business models. And so uh, that's been my experience that uh, all CIOs have that opportunity and that's the one very good pathway. Uh, another very good pathway is to change companies to be hired for that new role. Uh, and we see that a lot as well. Uh, and the, the last one, uh, the last point I'll make, which is much more controversial, is I wish it wasn't true. Um, I'm just so tired of people saying things like IT and the business, or we've got to align IT and the business. 
you know, you and I tried that for a long time and it's pretty much failed, the idea that you can align IT in the business uh, because it's just, I mean, the fact that you have to align it <laughs> is is crazy. And in fact, uh, this, the former CEO, uh, then executive chairman of BBVA did a major transformation in 2015. And when I interviewed him about it, it's in our book, uh, What's Your Digital Business Model? And I said, why did you, uh, Francisco, make this change of um, combining product, IT, and operations into a single organization. Uh, and he said, because in a digital world, they're the same. And having them align each other makes no sense, align to each other. And so my hope for the future is that actually the responsibility for digital will be much more dispersed much more of a team effort and we won't know we won't be able to tell the difference between an it person or digital person or a non-digital person and i think that's the goal we should all aim for and that will mean new ways of working organizational surgery and a bunch of other things well let's do talk about the uh the board research that you've done and uh the those companies that have been you know, more progressive in terms of their hiring of digitally savvy board members and the advantages that they have garnered from this. And maybe as a, as a lead into this, you can talk about your own thoughts about uh, the emergence of, of technology, digitally savvy uh, uh, members of boards, because it wasn't that long ago that, we're, that there were almost none of them. It wasn't necessarily a pathway into this. Um, so what, what began this from your perspective? And then I would love to hear the, the, the fruit of your research and the advantages that those organizations that have made this kind of change have garnered from it. Sure. So this was a, a machine learning study as well, a similar methodology where we identified through interviews and surveys phrases that um, reflected in a bio whether someone was digitally savvy. And... Uh, we were able to find uh, this is all listed companies in the United States with revenues over a billion that um, only 24% of boards um, were digitally savvy and they had this amazing higher performance. Uh, and this got a lot of attention uh, both uh, among boards but also among executive teams to say, well, we have an opportunity to help our boards become more digitally savvy. Uh, we have been able, because it's public data, do uh, identify companies, <laughs> the top 10, the bottom 10, the top 10 in any industry. And, you know, I won't be real provocative here today and give you the names of all the top 10 and the others, but there are companies in the top 10 in technology that you'd expect, you know, the, the Microsofts and the um, alphabets, but also there are companies uh, not in technology um, that are in the top 10 uh, as well. Um, and so uh, those companies are companies that you wouldn't expect to have a very digitally savvy board and, and high performance, but they do. Uh, and so that's a, uh, an indication that this issue of digital savvy boards has been bubbling along for some time uh, because those companies who are in the top 10 outside technology, both on digital savviness and on financial performance, have been putting those people on boards 10, 15 years ago 
but also have been changing the way they engage with the board on the topics. Um, and so what we found was that you need three digitally savvy directors to have an impact on performance. We measured this, and if you have just one, you see no impact on performance. And when we did interviews with, with chairs and others, they said, yeah, yeah, it's good to have a digitally savvy member, but no one listens to them, you know. So, uh, and then you have two, and then the, uh, the response was, oh, it's great to have two digitally savvy members, but they just talk to each other and in a language we don't get, you know. And, uh, and then they said, well, three really makes a difference. And, and we see that not only in this kind of change, but in diversity and many other kinds of change as well. Uh, and that's where you see the spike in performance uh, statistically. Uh, and, and the reason, or at least one of the things they do differently, is that digitally savvy directors change the risk conversation um, from evaluating projects to uh, the business model risk of not doing something new. And that is a very different conversation and requires a different set of skill, but it also requires a different agenda. There's a lot of accountability for chairs here to set agendas that are different, to set up board structures and committee structures that are different. Uh, and I'm happy to talk about the detail if your audience is interested in that. When we look at what it means uh, in terms of agenda topics, there are really three big questions or roles that a board has to deal with. The first is defensive, uh, and that is keeping the company out of trouble. And you can measure that actually by, and that's what we do, the number of incidents you see in the media that relate to a company regarding risk and privacy and outages and regulation. And most companies are kind of pretty good at that, you know, in, in this sort of 50 percentile effectiveness. Uh, they've still got a ways to go, maybe 60%. Oversight, uh, which has historically been a huge part of a board's role, is the next, and that is um, overseeing the major spending and transformation and projects to be on time. And the third, which uh, I think is the part you are referring to that hasn't been done historically, and that is really true. Um, and so uh, companies get, on average, less effective at this. So think sort of 60, 50, 40% effective at the three circles. And the strategy question is really about um, business model issues. And in industries that are highly regulated, they spend even less time on this because boards are so focused on the other two. Uh, and we see that particularly in financial services. The digital savvy of boards in financial services was really low. I mean, in the order of, um, I, this is from memory, so it may not be exactly right, 14, 15%, you know, so lower than the uh, general industry average. Uh, so, those three things are the things that make a big difference. And uh, the middle one is very difficult to find statistical correlations with performance. So more and more I am uh, suggesting that companies automate the oversight as much as possible. And you and I were having a parallel conversation about dashboards that are uh, set up to be real time to measure the 
uh, oversight issues. And so all those traffic light presentations that many board members have sat through for years and years and years turn out statistically at least not to have as big an impact. And if you ask um, people who sat through them or presented them to the CIOs, they'll say, yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, uh, they are very detailed. Uh, they're after the fact. <laughs> We've already worked on fixing it, you know, and so on. So we need new ways for boards to operate. And that's where the CIO comes in. They can apply their own technology to um, helping boards do what they do. So real-time dashboards, online education, uh, demos, um, all kinds of new ways of operating using the technology tools. Boards are already good at you know, having their papers online, but uh, much more work's gonna uh, be done on real-time performance metrics. So that's the evolution we're seeing. And so therefore CIOs can play a role in their own company by improving board performance. But also as you alluded to in your opening, they are highly sought after to sit on boards outside their company. Are, are there, and for, forgive me if, uh, if the research didn't get into this level of detail, but are there certain experiences among the CIOs or, or tech savvy board members that they bring to the, to the market that is common? Uh, are there certain industries that they most commonly come from? Are there the different sorts of skill sets that, that, that um, give certain people that much more of an advantage of, of gaining board access? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so one of the high predictors of being digitally savvy of any executive is working in high clock speed industries, industries that products change every year, every two years, you know, telcos, uh, technology, information product industries, media. Um, you would have thought financial services, but sadly not in the mainstream. Um, many financial services products haven't changed in decades. Uh, and so, but they are now very quickly. Uh, so those industries are, are really important. Um, a second feature, Peter, that I think I know you find interesting is one of the things we're studying at the moment is the impact of ecosystems. And one of the interesting elements of ecosystems is that it smashes industry boundaries. So you and I should stop talking about industries and start talking about customer needs. And so, you know, customers have a need for homes, for mobility, companies have a need for energy, for B2B services. So let's take the home need. Um, if you think about home ownership or even uh, home occupation, uh, there are multiple industries that serve that um, uh, need and the industry barrier is breaking down. So who are the go-to destinations for finding a home? Well, there are a lot of candidates, but there are realtors like Zillow, there are banks like Citi, there are insurance companies, there are law firms, there are many others who could be the go-to destination. So this notion of industry structure breaking down and moving more to, we call them domains, these are customer needs, uh, means that the notion of an industry experience is less relevant, but the meeting a customer need with multiple industries working together and partnering has become critical. So cross-industry experience, partnering, not old-fashioned handshake partnering, but 
real-time digital partnering in the way uh, we see platform companies like PayPal do. So all very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask about some of the uh, the work that you are doing relative to like what some of the new areas uh, or topics of interest that you're focused on now. You know, yours is an organization that is constantly looking at kind of the, the next hill to take uh, and new insights to to draw out. Where, where are you and your, your colleagues focused next? Yeah, again, thanks. Uh, great issues. Uh, one of the most fun uh, months of the year for us is October, where we sit down and think about what research projects we'll do for the next calendar year. And uh, we ask our members, you know, what's on your minds? And we get um, ideas from the researchers. And then we argue about it and prioritize. And so uh, when we were doing that last year, um, there was no coronavirus. And so uh, the topics were really important topics and they've turned out to be even more important in um, the virus. So one is data monetization. In particular, how this has been led by my colleague, Barb Wixom, how do you uh, think about a portfolio investments in data and what are the different returns from those investments and what are the practices for getting the most from data? And data is... Uh, become even more important since the coronavirus. Another is the digital partnering research that um, I just mentioned that we had published in Science Manager Review. That's been led by my colleague, Ina Sebastian. Uh, another project that's very important um, is decision rights. Uh, in one of our studies a couple of years ago, we looked at the four explosions that you have to manage in an organization to get transformation um, successfully achieved and uh, you know and the reason is you have to blow up the way you did things before if you're going to do things differently and one of those is decision rights and accountability so uh, for example if you're going to uh, be much more focused on customer experience you have to blow up the decision rights of the product owners de-weight them and have more decision rights more power to the customer experience folks um, and those are big changes in organizations. So uh, Nick Van de Mullen is um, leading a research project on decision right. And uh, so that's a very important project that uh, we're working on. And then I'm working on with Stephanie Warner a couple of projects that I wanted to mention to you. Uh, and one of them is uh, replatforming. Uh, we have... Um, we claim to have um, coined the phrase replatforming. I'm sure we didn't. But ever since we've started using it, everyone is. And, and the reason is it's so important. And uh, as I said to you, I did, did a board session yesterday for a, a large financial services firm and, and made the point that we're going to be replatforming forever. Uh, this is not a one and done uh, deal. Uh, so we've been studying replatforming and found that there were four different approaches to replatforming. Uh, it's on our website if you're interested in getting more. And they have different financial uh, relationships to financial performance. So what's an example? You can build an API layer over what you have. That's one way to replatform. Uh, another is you can do core replacements, uh, and there are two others as well. And, and replatforming is so important because if we want to have a new business model and follow a new pathway to transformation, the technology we have isn't up to scratch, so we have to replatform. A second topic, which is very hot at the moment uh, amongst boards, is what does it cost? 
So what does it cost to X? Like increase cross selling. That's what we're focusing on at the moment. So if you said to a board, a board said to you, we wanted, or management team said to you, we want to increase cross selling, you would say how? And then, okay, what does it cost? How much does it cost to actually do it? And so we've been uh, having a first shot at that. And uh, uh, we have some other um, issues at the end of that question. What does it cost to cross sell? What does it cost to increase the revenue from innovation? Uh, what does it cost to do various other things? So we've been working uh, on, on that one as well. And, and that's been a, a really interesting. And then the last topic I wanted to mention is uh, this whole notion of industries going away and domains being important. Uh, we're studying that at the moment as well. And that's a big, big issue for uh, companies as they think about how they're going to make money going forwards. And, and the platform companies, you know, have really embraced that. You know, so if you said to me what industries uh, Google or WeChat or um, Ping are in, I wouldn't be able to tell you. You know, they're, they're in they're in customer need <laughs> industries. Well, that's great. Wonderful to get a preview on some of the things to come. I, lastly, I wanted to talk about you. You mentioned a, mom, a moment ago some of the some of the curiosities or, or, or strange impacts of, the, of the, the pandemic and the quarantine. I'm curious, um, we've already talked about how in some ways that has enhanced and even pulled forward a lot of the activity around the, that broad topic of digital transformation in its various forms. Um, I'm wondering as you think about the indelible marks of this, uh, once we, and let's pray of course that it's sooner rather than later, but that we achieve some sort of new normalcy and uh, get, get on with our lives to some degree whenever that, that, uh, that, that happens. What are some of the indelible marks you see uh, that have been left as a result of this? Changes to the business landscape and the role that digi digitally savvy companies and executives will play in, in continuing to shepherd in some of that change. Yeah, thanks. I think there's sort of three I would mention. The first is we are much more adaptable than we thought. You know, just about every company has pivoted uh, in weeks to go from mostly physical to all virtual. Uh, work from home, you know, large banks, large manufacturing companies, um, large uh, consumer product companies have pivoted to have many of their workers work from home. Uh, and I was talking to the uh, CEO of a large um, business bank, and uh, he said, and we were not sure how this was going to work because we traditionally had beautiful offices and we brought our clients in, we had lunches, we did big events, we, um, and now we're working from home and managing the same level of financial risk out of our home offices and, and we don't have any of that investment uh, we used to have. And so uh, that proof that we can operate uh, digitally because we had to, um, and the confidence that we could do it, and the speed with which we could make that change, that's a forever here um, aha. And uh, so executive teams and boards are going to be much more demanding of us for change because we've proven we can do it. Uh, and, and we have to be able to, you know, put that in a recipe and do it over and over because that's what's going to be demanded. 
Uh, that said, I've found that there are two flavors of companies out there uh, that we work with. One um, that says, ah, you know, my hair's on fire. We're, we're, we're bleeding. We've got, we're cutting. So we're going to cut costs. And we're going to cut costs uh, in all kinds of ways. And you've seen this all over the media. And, but we're going to give a, a haircut. We're going to cut everybody equally. And uh, we're going to survive that way. And that's fine. Uh, but the, the companies that I'm enjoying working with are saying, hmm, yeah, we have to cut costs, but this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity to create the kind of company we've always wanted. <laughs> we know we don't want to operate the way we do. We know that that's not the best way to operate. Um, and so let's use this uh, pandemic as a way to create the company. And, and so that may need some restructuring, uh, new people, uh, new partnerships, but it's a, uh, it's a great, and even if there's a dip in performance for the change that you need to make, which often happens, people will expect that now. So that's, a, I think, another forever. Um, and the third thing is that um, being digitally savvy won't be a question anymore. Uh, you will just have to be uh, digitally savvy. And that means um, for industries like mine, education, we really have to up our game. I'd have to say as an industry, we have not delivered what we need to, to help not only new people, young kids getting degrees, but also much more importantly for the folks that I work with at senior levels, ongoing real-time education of the future. And so that's why podcasts like yours are important, but also we've got to be much better at learning quickly. Uh, and, and I would argue that's the number one insight for me that's come out of the pandemic. I mean, you and I know a lot more about viruses than we ever knew and modeling and all that, you know, because we have to. Well, Peter Weil, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today to hear more about what you and your team have been thinking about and researching, uh, the insights about the changes that are already afoot and likely to be increasing uh, with regard to those organizations who have, who have uh, you know, already made the leap towards digital savviness and those who must emulate them. Uh, it's been a great and very insightful conversation. Thank you. You're most welcome, Peter. A pleasure to work with you and your listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be Dennis Maloney, the Chief Innovation Officer of Domino's.